0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the fifth Sunday in Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. One of the amazing things about being a part of the Anglican tradition, and there are many, as I'm coming to learn in the last couple months, is that during Lent, this prolonged season that leads up to Easter tide, we take Alleluia out of the liturgy. And for as long as I can remember in following Jesus, hallelujah, or specifically hallelujah, has been the term that I've loved to use the most. I have it tattooed on my body. It's something I I say in like regular conversation. And so what's funny is I've become, as we've started to become Anglican and coming to this church in the last couple months, for the first like six weeks, I couldn't say hallelujah. I was like going crazy inside. And so on Easter... It's our day anyway. We celebrate it. It's the best day. It's our day as Christians. Getting to say alleluia with the people of God for the first time was a renewed gift in an amazing way. And I've loved saying that as we continue to celebrate Easter over this whole course of this tide season. Amen. My wife Shelby and I and my daughter Edith started attending Christ the King in February, Uh, and before that, as as you're starting to get to know me, also I'm the pastoral intern, it's day seven on the job for me, so really excited to be here. Um, As you're getting to know me, I grew up in non-denominational churches, and I served in that setting for five and a half years after college, and I am grateful For my upbringing in a Bible church, it allowed me the space to really fall in love with Scripture, especially in in high school as I was really trying to start following Jesus. God illuminated my heart, showed me so much of Himself through Scripture, and that continues today. I've continued to glean so much from the Lord and just one on one time with Scripture, sitting under teaching. So it's such an honor to get to share the Word of God with you this morning. But in the last three years, I've been in the, working in the business space, and my wife and I have really longed for a more connected, historical, and sacramental expression of a church tradition. And so uh, I know it may, maybe sounds a little corny, but as we've come here in the last couple months, I truly feel like it's home. We have a friend named Holly who, who started coming with her family a couple months, and, and previously we were worshiping in the same congregation. I remember her looking at me actually at a workout class saying, Chris... We have come home at Christ the King, and that has stuck with me. And so as we've come to worship and getting to sit in the pews or the the chairs with you all each week, receiving forgiveness each week, confessing together, celebrating the Eucharist, it's truly been water to my soul. And I know it sounds cliche, but I think I'm willing to bet that that is true for many of us here as well. And so it is an honor to be in front of you this morning, And I'm humbled to serve Jesus and you all through the course of this year as a pastoral resident. And I'm really eager to fall more in love with Jesus, which each of you throughout this year. So let's pray together as we jump in to hearing from God's word. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you that you are worthy of all of our praise forever. Thank you that we get to say hallelujah over and over and over again because you did not stay in the grave. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. As we celebrate your resurrection, let us always be reminded that you are present with us in your spirit. We receive what you would speak to us this morning through the reading of your word. Thank you for worship. Thank you for your body and your blood and getting to be with the people of God this Sunday morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text this morning uh, continues the theme of the Holy Spirit showing up in amazing ways from the book of Acts. Uh, earlier, just a couple of minutes ago, I read the resolute scene of Stephen's death. He was the first Christian martyr. And I think it's worth backtracking just a little bit to give a full picture of the story as we dive in together. In Acts 6, just a couple, just a chapter before, the church finds itself being birthed into something real, something incredibly concrete. It starts growing at an extraordinary rate and just starting to try to figure things out logistically, realistically. It's all really starting to come together. Every day is something new for them. Every day is something new, a new way to trust the Holy Spirit I've only been on staff seven days, but I think I can speak for my guy Isaiah and Jake and our pastor Ashley. That probably is a little bit how it feels here. Every day, a new way to learn and trust Jesus as we continue to grow and see God move. so we're just a small, small picture of what God was doing in the early church in Acts and exploding his movement in Jerusalem that would be about to be taken to the ends of the earth. And so the early church finds itself as it grows consistently serving uh, food to the poor, And it comes to the attention of the leaders that the widows, specifically the widows are being overlooked in food distribution. I think this is important on a lot of levels, but one of which we need to point out right away is it's a justice problem. So these widows were being overlooked because one, they were women in a society that didn't honor women. And secondly, they were being overlooked because they were a specific sect of Judaism, which in the eyes of the majority, they were not Jewish enough. So they were actually being overlooked because of their place in society as women and because of their race. They were seen as outsiders. And so in a really early example of creative justice, the church appoints seven people who are actually mainly Hellenistic Jews or outsiders themselves to actually be in charge of making sure that food is evenly and fairly distributed among the people. It's a picture of the early church coming to a mistake and being honest, coming to a place with intellectual and theological honesty and saying, we messed up, let's make it right. We have so much to still learn from the church in Acts, amen? Seven people were appointed to carry out the needs of the church, becoming the first deacons. Deacon just means servant. And our guy for this morning that we're focusing on is our brother Stephen. He's actually known in traditionally the archdeacon of the church. So as we look at deacons, what it means to serve the practical needs of the congregation in our community, and in our own community, Deacon Frank and Deacon Jamie, we look to Archdeacon St. Stephen as the example of the one who led the way. Our text this morning says that Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power. And that he performed great wonders and signs among the people. Now this was an issue, of course, because for the Jewish and the Roman leaders of the day, they thought that they had dealt with the problem of Jesus, the movement of the man that thought he was the Messiah, and that other people might think he was the Jewish Messiah. They thought they dealt with it when they killed him. Bummer. They didn't. Not just was the movement continuing to go, it was actually exploding. And so the Jewish and Roman authorities at this point in Acts were getting incredibly worried. So I think mainly out of fear of that, of the status quo that was already breaking. Being even more disrupted, they arrested Stephen, who was doing great wonders and signs among the people. They arrested him to try once again to curb the movement of Jesus the Messiah of the world, of Israel, who would redeem everything. They were like, we got to shut this down. So they arrest Stephen in that attempt. And what they missed was the wisdom that was actually spoken earlier in the Gospels of the high priest who said, if you kill Jesus, this movement will continue to go. It will continue to spread. There's a quote from Tertullian that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And that's exactly what we see through this story in Stephen and throughout the rest of the New Testament. So Stephen, in in the first two-thirds of Acts 7, he gives this amazing speech of how God was working and the breaking of his kingdom through the Old Testament stories. And he comes to the end of his speech to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, and he basically said, y'all who are holding me captive, this Jewish and Roman authorities, you have actually killed the Son of God. You have killed the true King. And as we read earlier together this morning, they were less than thrilled by that accusation. And so as they prepare to stone and murder Stephen, something really remarkable happens we read that Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit and he looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He cries, heaven is open and the son of man is standing at the right hand of God. Now this is remarkable for many reasons, but one of which is throughout the New Testament, we read that Jesus will be placed in on the right hand of seated at God. There's allusions in the Old Testament and Psalms to the Messiah being seated at the right hand of God. But in this scene, we see Stephen, the archbishop of the church, the first Christian martyr, look up to heaven and he sees Jesus not sitting, but standing. He is standing on his behalf. And I think let's just imagine for just a moment that Jesus, our King, our Savior, our Advocate, was being so moved with emotion and love for his son Stephen that he stood at the throne, not seated, but stood at the throne. And I love to imagine Jesus standing there, reaching out to Stephen. And Stephen, who is literally being killed, looks up and sees, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, sees Jesus, and Jesus is reaching out. And I imagine him saying, Stephen, my son, I love you. I see you, I am proud of you. And I don't think it's any, uh, it's any stretch to say that that might have given him the courage. He needed to die with forgiveness on his lips. And as I just mentioned, I, may, I want to make sure we hit on is it's through the power of the Spirit, God himself, that we believe that Stephen was able to look up and see that vision of Jesus. And that continues the theme that we've heard from the last couple of weeks, first from Wes and then from Ashley, that the Holy Spirit of God, God himself was given to his people to continue the work of God in the world. Praise the Lord. After Stephen cries out that he sees Jesus, the opposition covers their ears and rushes to kill him. And then something really curious is mentioned that we're going to come back to in just a moment. But as they are rushing to kill him, the opposition lays their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then Stephen begins to be killed. But as he is stoned by the power of the Holy Spirit, he declares, Lord, do not hold this sin against them and then he dies. And what we must not miss, what has actually captured my heart and my full imagination these last couple of weeks as I have prayed for you all, as I've written this, as I've sat with this passage, is the answer to this question. What in the world propelled Stephen as he was being murdered to declare forgiveness and beg Jesus to forgive his murderers? And I only think there is one answer to that. It is a person who has encountered and been transformed by the deep love of Jesus. The love of Jesus compelled Stephen so much that he was able to forgive his murderers as they were killing him. It's not like Stephen had this really hard relationally thing happen and had a few days to let it like blow over and come back and forgive them. It was in that moment What was that that moved him so much? And I believe that through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, he knew that Jesus' love and forgiveness was being offered to every single person in Jerusalem and beyond. Because the reality of what we read in the text is that Jesus was in love, or Stephen, and Jesus was in love with Stephen, but Stephen was in love with Jesus. And he was committed to the way of Jesus so much that in his dying moment, he was able to extend forgiveness. To extend forgiveness to those who trespassed against him in the most grievous way possible. And I think what if we dared to trust Jesus so much? What if we knew the love of Jesus as Stephen did? And y'all, I actually think we can The good news is that we have the same Holy Spirit as our brother Stephen did. We know and we follow the same Jesus. And so, y'all, I am increasingly becoming convinced that Jesus is writing a really great story of redemption, that he is continually healing things which are broken, and he is always inviting his church to participate in that story Acts 7 gives us such a brilliant glimpse into that story because the writer of Acts makes sure to point out, as I just mentioned, that Saul was present at the murder. Saul, who we know as Paul, was a Pharisee, and he sought with all of his life to protect Judaism. He saw Jesus and the Christians as an affront, as a false way. And so in order to really respect God, who he believed in fully, I believe that, he persecuted the way and the followers of Jesus. Stephen's murder is the only one we actually see directly tied to Saul in the New Testament, but it is mentioned throughout the New Testament, even right after, just a couple verses after our text for this morning, that Paul ravaged the church of Jesus. That he went around and, and rounded up men and women who were following Christ. He asked for permission to go persecute, to pull them back because he wanted to keep his love for God, for Yahweh, pure. And he was yet to see that Jesus was the true Messiah. The amazing thing is that Paul had actually been seeking the Messiah his whole life. And Jesus was it, and he missed it. But God in his grace would bring him back to see that. But he ravages the church so much that when he actually becomes a Christian in Acts 9 in this dramatic conversion story, the church has a hard time trusting him. Of course they do. The text makes a point to say that Saul was not just there at the killing of Stephen, but that folks were actually lying their coats at his feet, which means that Saul wasn't just present, but he was actually in charge. He was presiding. He had authority over this murder. And I, and I think as I imagine these scenes, as I, I want to ask the Holy Spirit for a biblical imagination from the text we read, that he would form it in our minds to be able to see what's happening. I would imagine that Stephen's family and friends were there and that they saw Saul They knew who he was and they watched as Saul murdered or presided over the murder of their brother. And so what is so profound about this passage is that Stephen, by the love of Christ and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, did not condemn his killers, but he blessed them at his death. He prayed for them as he was slain, just as Jesus did while he was on the cross And I believe there are many things that led to Saul being converted in Acts 9. But I do not think it is a coincidence or an accident that Saul is so directly tied to the selfless and spirit-filled act of forgiveness that we witness in Stephen. Saul becomes Paul and eventually falls in love with Jesus. And he becomes one of the apostles of the early church. He goes on to write half of the New Testament, but even in his radical life change and his incredible influence as an apostle of the church, we know, you have to imagine at least, that Paul lived the rest of his life with the guilt and the shame and the pain of murdering his brothers and sisters. So what kind of act of God, this is my big question for us this morning, what act of God did it take For Stephen's brothers and sisters and friends to forgive Paul. Because let's be incredibly clear here. We cannot miss this. What the church had against Paul was not some just petty annoyance. He murdered their brothers and their sisters and their friends. He ravaged their life. And so here's my question. What level of forgiveness must a human know to look across the table at a person who murdered their friend and pass the wine? Could you think about sitting at a table with your brother's murderer? And the miracle of Jesus The unbelievable truth of the God we celebrate in this Easter season and beyond is this immense, earth-breaking, world-shattering, reality, close love of Jesus was able to forgive those people. Able to forgive Paul, bring in the truth that they could sit together and commune together and be together in the greatest pain they could ever know. What kind of love is that? It's the kind of love we celebrate and we get to know as the people of God. We get to honor the goodness of God and forgiveness as we walk towards Jesus every single day in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. He is invited each one of us, into his story. No matter what we have done, no matter what we have left undone, no one is cut off from the forgiveness of Jesus. Because Stephen passed on the forgiveness of Jesus, he allowed Saul and no doubt many others who were there to receive the love of Jesus and therefore to be able to participate in the ongoing story that God was writing despite their sin and we are offered the same. We are offered the forgiveness to participate in the story and to offer it to others. God is writing a story of redemption, and we do not have to miss out. Praise God. Hallelujah. If we do not forgive others or ourselves, and I think it's important to note that there is a possibility that we could miss out. We don't have to miss out. God is offering that to us. But if we walk in unforgiveness, if we don't forgive ourselves, others, we could miss out on the love of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel every day. And it's so easy because of our prejudice, our sin, our biases, our opinions. The sin which has threatened to bind us away from God could hold us down. But in honesty and in love, may we as the church of Jesus walk forward in truth and in justice and name the goodness of God in forgiveness. We do not overlook evil. We do not overlook injustice. We claim the goodness of God as the people of God. But let's not miss out on the invitation every single day to walk in the goodness of his mercy. I believe God is doing a really great work at Christ the King as he writes that story in Northwest Arkansas. I believe much of that work is yet to come, but the story is unfolding now and it will continue. And I'm humbled to be a small part of that story. Christ the King's part in the story of God started probably over a decade ago at this point. It probably was birthed very early in the lives of a few folks who had the willingness and the courage to come to Northwest Arkansas and want to follow Jesus in the Anglican way we've only been here a few short months, but what I'd invite you to do is just for a moment, I'm giving you permission, look around the room. The faces you may recognize, the faces you may not recognize. God has intentionally invited us and brought us into this space together as he continues to write his story through Christ the King, and I'm grateful to be a part of it, and I'm grateful you're a part of it. Every single one of you, whether you're here at this church or not. The story of Stephen offering forgiveness gives us great hope because the love of Jesus compelled him enough to not hate or curse his killers, but rather to know that his killers were not beyond redemption. Stephen didn't know that Saul would become Paul. Stephen did not know fully the story that God was writing, but Stephen did know that Jesus was at work and he refused to cut that story off from others. so one of my many prayers for this congregation is to love Christ in a way that we say yes to his invitation each day to join his story of redemption. In our homes, at our dinner tables, in our work, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, may we learn to love Jesus a little bit more each day by the presence of the Holy Spirit and nearness with us every single moment. May we dare to take the words we pray together each Sunday seriously. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your love and your clarity. Thank you so much for the forgiveness you offer, the story of Stephen and the courage that he had. I pray, Jesus, as a church, that you would show us more of your love every single day. You would pull us in. You would let us be honest about injustice and truth that we get to share outward, that you see us as the Imago day made in the image of God, and may we walk in the courage of forgiveness. Thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.